Join me as we pray again. Father, we pause to once again acknowledge your presence, to thank you for this day and this place and this opportunity to gather together to worship you, to praise you, to seek knowledge, enlightenment from your word. Give us open hearts, open ears, and we will be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Don't know if you are aware of it or not, but we seem to be establishing something of a tradition. This is the third Sunday in a row, uh, the last Sunday of the year, that I have filled your pulpit. And uh, I'm happy, appreciate the invitation, happy to join with you again. Always enjoy coming to Big Creek. This, of course, being the end of one year and the beginning of another is an appropriate time, I think, for looking back and for looking ahead. I have chosen to look ahead this morning although there are perhaps some pitfalls, if you're looking back, uh, you know what happened. You, you have a certainty uh, looking into the past and looking into the future, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. There are some no's, but there are a lot of unknowns to look ahead, but nevertheless, uh, we're going to attempt to do that this morning. Uh, it is good if we can learn from our mistakes. It's also good if we can learn from our successes because some of the things we face in 2020, we will undoubtedly have faced before. But some things perhaps will be new. If we look Back, we can see how God has guided us through and provided for us before. But at the same time, as I said, we need to recognize that there may be and probably will be new problems, new trials, new temptations, new sorrows. Also, new opportunities, new blessings. Given that all good sermons have three points, we have a three-point sermon this morning. Three things that I'm going to consider about God's way. We 
hope that we will be following in God's way in the year to come. And so three things that we might think about relative to God's way. First of all, God's way may be one of testing. Now I have used the word may because we know that there is some uncertainty there, but I could have probably been justified by using the word probably because while God's way may not be one of testing, it probably will be. God never promised an easy way. In fact, he promised just the opposite. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus speaking here, saying, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Well, I, I read that to mean that as long as we are in this world, we are going to have tribulation of one level or another. We trust that it won't be as serious, as, as bad as some of the things we've heard about just this past week, but there's always that possibility. Israel, before they could get into the promised land, faced a few little problems, like a Red Sea in the way, a flooded Jordan River in the way, Giants in the land, when they got there, had they gotten there when they were supposed to, why? Why does God bring these times of testing into our lives? Well, I believe the answer, at least one of the answers, lies in one of the most well-known, most often quoted verses in the New Testament, especially when things aren't going as we'd like for them to, Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. Everybody knows Romans 8, 28. You may not know it by the numbers, but you know it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, most people, I'm afraid, stop there. Had they gone on into the next couple of verses, it would have been uh, made clear why God causes all things to work together good and what his purpose is, what his desired outcome is to be as a result of that because it goes on to say in verse 29, 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So I believe the Bible is saying there that God's objective is to make us more like Christ. And he can't do that by having everything go our way all the time. And so he allows things into our life that if we allow him to work in these things, the outcome will be we become a little bit more like Christ. We become a little more accurate bearer of that name, Christian, which means, of course, little Christ. God's objective is not to make us comfortable in this life. He has eternity to do that. His objective is to make us more like Christ and in the process to glorify himself. And we wish when we're going through these things that there was some other way because often it's not pleasant. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, however, God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So as we look ahead to 2020, we probably need to be aware that there's a fairly good chance God's way may be one of testing. But we know that God's way will be one of provision. Children of Israel faced the Red Sea, but they didn't have to swim. They didn't have to build a boat. When they got there, God parted those waters. When they faced that flooded Jordan River, again, they didn't have to swim, they didn't have to build a boat. God miraculously parted the waters. But not until they got there. Think of the story of the four ladies going up to the tomb on Easter morning to anoint the body of Jesus. The account in Mark's gospel tells us that they were talking with one another. How are we going to roll away that stone? because they knew, as we know, that the stone was far too heavy 
for four women to roll, to roll it, to move it. When they got there, the Bible says, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. But it's significant, I think, that God did not roll the stone away and then send a messenger to say to these ladies, okay, I've got the stone out of the way now, come on. They had to go, they had to do what they could do until, or to see what God's provision already was. These are familiar stories, but let me just read a few verses out of Exodus chapter 14, first of all. Beginning in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Now remember, when God is saying this, there has been no parting of the waters. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, though, through his chariots and his horsemen. And so we drop down verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. But not until they got there and were ready to cross over. Same situation with, uh, with the Jordan River, uh, looking in Joshua chapter 4. Verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him, just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, saying, Come up. And it came about when the priests who carried the ark had come up from the middle of the Jordan, Okay, I started in the wrong place. I was intending to start where... That's back in chapter 3 instead of chapter 4, I think. Yes. Just one chapter off, that's not bad. So it came about when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they are on their way, making steps toward the water. When those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, then the waters that were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap 
and the children of Israel were able to go on dry land. God provided a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He provided manna, but they had to gather it. He provided quails, but they had to gather them. He provided an ark for Noah, but Noah had to build it for 120 years. He has promised guidance. This is, uh, if you don't know this verse, you ought to learn it. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. And your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. That's a, that's a marvelous promise of God's guidance if we're listening for it. He provided a ram caught in the thicket in place of Isaac's. And he provided what we needed most. We've just celebrated Christmas. We've read and sung about the angel saying to the shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David. I made a list once for a sermon of all the things, or some of the things, I'm sure it's not all, some of the things that the angels could have said and been right, been accurate. They could have said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a prophet, because he was. They could have said, is born a priest. He was our great high priest. They could have said, is born a king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. They could have said, is born to you this day a miracle worker. He was. They could have said, a religious leader. He was. They could have said, a political leader. He wasn't at that time, but he will be the, the next time he comes. All those things would have been true, but that wasn't what we needed most. What we needed most was what the angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So, God's way may be and probably will be a time of, of trial and testing, at least to some degree. God's way is always a way of provision, and so he will provide in the trial and the testing to make things work together for good. And that brings us to the third characteristic of God's way, God's way is one of certainty. Earth's paths, Earth's ways, always uncertain. 
natural disasters. We are supposed to have had, by now, a finished riverfront over in Ham. But a little matter of a flood intervened. Natural disasters, always uncertain. Accidents, illness, death. I have called it an uncertain certainty because it's not if but when we will unless the Lord comes before that there is a certainty out there as Billy Graham said wars do not increase death when you hear that it might sound a little strange but he went on to say death has been total in every generation and it will continue to be total in every generation until the Lord intervenes the stock market politics any uncertainty there you don't believe there's a little uncertainty in politics, ask Hillary Clinton. But the path of faith, God's way, is certain. Malachi 3 6 says, God, I am the Lord, I do not change. And Hebrews 13 8 says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now there's a reason for that. God cannot change. Why? Because change implies imperfection. If you change, you've either got to get better or get worse. And if you get better, you weren't perfect to start with. And if you get worse, you aren't perfect anymore. So God has to stay the same, complete and perfect from eternity past to eternity future. God's word will not change. He tells us that in Matthew 24, 35. I can quote it, but I want to read it to be sure. Matthew 24:35 says, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away." Now, just in case you missed it there, he says exactly the same thing in Mark 13:31. And in case you missed it there, he says it again in Luke 21, 33. My words shall not pass away forever, O Lord. Your word is settled in heaven, the psalmist said. God's word isn't going to change. And there are a lot of other things 
that aren't going to change either, but I preached about that the last time I was here, and I'm sure you all remember those, so uh, I won't go over them again at this time. Heaven is a certainty as well, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. John chapter 14, what did Jesus say? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I might come again and receive you unto myself. No, he didn't say that. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Heaven is a certainty, the kingdom is a certainty as much as the second coming is a certainty. And God's guidance is a certainty. We read that passage from Isaiah about I'll be behind you, I'll tell you, go to the right, go to the left. Jeremiah 29, 11 is another verse that deals with God's guidance. Shows up on a lot of t-shirts and uh, backpacks and other places. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There are a lot of uncertainties in 2020. But the most important things are certain and sure if we go in God's way rather than our own. Would you join me as we sing our sending hymn 338 